All right, we're here, Beyonce and Tennis, with another great podcast, another great guest here. It's another uh, Know Your Coaches segment in his eighth season at the University of Illinois. Um, glad to have the associate head coach, Marcos Asse, with us tonight. Marcos, thank you so much for joining us tonight. And before we kind of walk, you know, you, you kind of walk us through your journey through the tennis world. Um, give us like a quick pulse on where your team's at. I know you guys were real successful last weekend and you're gearing up to play Michigan and Michigan State this weekend. Yeah, I think this, this weekend, you know, we've had probably a few more lows uh, than we're used to in Illinois this year. And uh, we've had a few, I don't know if you want to call them freshman hiccups or team hiccups really because we have six freshmen. So uh, they're they the majority of the team. Um, and we're just excited for a chance to, to play Michigan, who I'm trying to think of the last time Michigan was ranked ahead of us. So this is sort of unique to come in as the underdog. And I, to be quite honest, I don't know if our freshmen know exactly what that means and some of the history of all these matches we're playing in the Big Ten. And, uh, you know, that's where it's up to the upperclassmen to educate them a little bit. But I, I think we're... Aaron Hiltzik had to sit a couple matches from just tenderfoot and things like that, so he's coming back, and I know he's extremely anxious to get on the court, and he's been working hard, and the team's just excited to kind of start putting it all together. We're, we're getting to the place in season where, you know, it's time that if we're going to be putting it all together, it's time to do it. And I certainly think this team is highly capable and ready, and, and our team still believes we're, we're one of the top teams in the country, so... Uh, we're just we're anxious, anxious with each match to kind of steer the ship back in the right direction. Yeah, and I know you and Brad will have those guys ready, and you guys got such a talented squad, so I'm sure there'll be uh, very, very positive things ahead. Why don't we? we work yeah, why don't we kind of walk through um, your journey? I know you were born and raised in, in Gainesville, Florida. Kind of just yep. walk through your uh, how you got involved in tennis, and we'll we'll slowly go from there into. Uh, your transition to coaching, and then how you got in touch with Brad. I think, um, you know, I'm the, I'm the byproduct of two artist parents, and a lot of times they're Gainesville. They're both in theater. Growing up in Gainesville, they, I was better known as their son than, than kind of my own man at times. People would stop us all the time. Oh, you know, I saw the show. You know, your mom's costumes are great. Your dad's set is great. This and that. And so I think as the, as the son of artists, they always, they let you, follow your passion, you know, because that's generally what artists do, and growing up, we, my older brother and I, we'd always kind of lean more towards sports, we just were, um, were always, uh, we're active in a lot of different things, we used to be in plays and this and that, and we'd always compete with each other, although he was, he was only 18 months older than me, he was a lot more physically mature than me, and so, um, by the time we rolled around to tennis, you know, we'd already done track and field, and we'd already skateboarded and played basketball and tried our hand at bicycling and doing all these things. And when we, um, by the time tennis came around, I was just about to turn 12, and my older brother was trying to beat one of his friends, so he practiced with me, and he beat me, and I didn't want to lose to him, and we just stuck. I, I think tennis hits people at different stages in their life. I mean, you see some... 30-year-old men who go play tennis for the first time in their life and they just become junkies. Right. And that's how I was right then. I think from the first time I played, 
I maybe couldn't get back to the course the very next day, but it was a day, you know, two days later, and then I think I played every single day of my life, barring a hurricane all through Florida. <laughs> I played every single day, my brother and I, till a few years after college. I don't think I missed the day, and uh, I just loved it. I had no real formal coaching. My, my first coach was my dad's master carpenter, who was just a zestful guy, Greg Iceberg. I, I, we loved him to death, still do, and he just made us love tennis. And I think that's the best thing when I see these parents getting their kids technical this and coaching all of a sudden. Like, if you make your kids love tennis, they'll be great. They'll be the, the, as successful as they'll ever be. Right. I mean, I've, uh, I've going through and talking to more and more people, of course, there's the the, I guess you would say, normal trajectory. Oh, he was a talented young kid. He played all the junior tournaments. He went up from there. But you talk to more and more people, and there's more people like you that it's more the non-traditional way. And that's kind of a, it's kind of really cool how in tennis that it kind of, uh, all all types of, uh, all types of bits and pieces uh, play play a part in how you, how you get into the game and how far you can take it. Um, yeah, and I don't, I don't know the backstory, obviously, of all we feel like, you know, Sebastian Corda is doing great right now, you know, the son of a great tennis player. And right. Taylor Fritz, you know, the son of a great tennis player. And yet these guys that are, or, you know, byproducts of tennis families and things like that. But I think you're right. You have a, a lot of people, too, that um, tennis is an attractive sport. I think with football and, and some of the issues they're having, I, I think parents are afraid to get, I would not, if I had five, two daughters, if I had sons, I would not let them play football, just with the concussion issues and things like that. And I do think you're going to see, I'm hoping you're going to see a resurgence of tennis being popular in America again, like it used to be. Um, and, you know, we'll have these great champions that kids are going to want to latch on to. And, you know, hopefully pretty soon America will have a Kyrgios that's... Yeah, I think we're definitely... Yeah, I think we're definitely trending in the right direction. I mean, we got uh, we were just talking before um, before we started this. You know, Jack Sox playing tonight right now. He's he's yeah. top fifteen in the world. We got a crew of the guys. You know, guys around top one hundred. So, and I also think in America, more um, natural athletes, the better type of athletes, are also playing tennis too. So that will also help yeah. us. Yeah, um, no question. I mean, that's Cabello. So he just beat his. Yep, he beat his earlier today. And, um, and you have these guys, and, and tennis also is, the, I know we're seeing the Isners and the Kevin Andersons and the, these big, huge guys, but you look at the greatest players in the game, and they're, you know, in that, somewhere in that 6-1 to 6-4 range, and you get over that certain skill, you start losing certain physical skills, and I think it's like you look at the running back position in football. Right. The reason why you don't have six five guys. Right. Hey, Barry Sanders was five seven. They could they, they couldn't see him. <laughs> and, and tennis is a moving sport. And as long as it is a moving sport, you know, it's uh I mean if if you were allowed to back up five feet on against Randy Johnson, he is no longer Randy Johnson. Correct. And I agree. In tennis you can do that. In tennis you can back up and you can defend. You see the guys in ping pong playing thirty feet behind the ping pong. <laughs> Yeah. I think tennis will, will start to get there. You go to these older facilities, and you're like, this court isn't big enough for me. Right. Those players where the back fences, you know, those older indoor facilities that weren't planning on today's game. 
the, the court that the court that the guys are playing on in Houston right now it's not super huge I mean where where soccer is returning it's pretty far back yeah um, so and, let's and tennis is, is looking like ping pong just with the people have the ability to move now to cover the whole court to do those yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with you, Marcos. Um, let's, so let's kind of get back to you. So obviously... Yeah. Um, so I did that. So I played uh, just growing up in Gainesville. I, I mean, I went to every single U.S. match that I possibly could. Uh, my brother and I just hung on to everything. And, and we were... Um, I, I, a lot, I hear a lot of kids talk about being middle class. When I look back and I learn about the income of my parents, I think basically we were poor, really. I like to think, I certainly, I felt like I had an upper class upbringing with, um, upbringing with my parents and the love, and I, I never felt lacking in any way. It's only when I, you know, kind of look around at some of the other, what the other kids are raised. So I was blessed in playing in Florida. I got to play all the Florida tournaments and then open, so I certainly was never lacking in terms of, uh, well, I wasn't able to travel a national schedule and go, I mean, if I would have went to my parents and said, yeah, I'm thinking about playing this tournament in Texas, you know, we got to fly there. They would look to me like I was absolutely crazy. Like, how are you playing on a 40 minute? Right. And, uh, and so, so being in Florida, there was, you know, another component that luck was on my side. And, I remember watching the U.S. guys thinking, like, I don't know how you even get to this level. Right. Like, I don't know what I have to do to get there. And then it was funny. I heard, like, when I was in ninth grade, I heard, oh, a couple guys had walk-on trials. And I thought, oh, well, maybe there's that. You know, kind of like, that's a way I could get there. But it was still kind of a dream. And honestly, it wasn't until I was in 11th grade that I, in my older brother started talking about trying out for the team and I got became senior he tried out for the team didn't make but was pretty close and that I thought well man I was now old enough I was, and I kind of went through a gross round of puberty pretty late so I, my game didn't really kind of get powerful until later and then uh, I another I had another stroke of luck and uh, Dave Blair who played UF one NCAA double title at UF with um, Mark Marklin I called him up and I said, Dave, I don't have any money. I'll pay you what I can. I was working at Foot Locker at the time. From, I worked at Foot Locker in the Gainesville Malls from the time I was 10th grade until even some through my freshman year of college. And uh, I just said, I'll, I'll pay you whatever I can with what I have left over my paycheck. And if, can you just, you know, look at my game and help me out? I want to make, try to make a run and get on the U.S. tennis team. And... Chase agreed, sure, and, um, you know, I like to think I was a pretty hard-working guy and a fun kid to coach because I had big ears and worked hard. And um, he talked to Ian, which I know for him at the time wasn't, that there was a pretty big solid he did for me to talk to Ian. And, uh, so Ian gave me a, a tryout period a little more expensive than most of the others. I think I had a game that excited people just because I was a big kid, big serve, hit ball hard, and had, you know, a lot of, a lot of good physical qualities. And um, he gave me a sort of a two-week trial period, and I, I made it. I vividly, vividly, I'll never forget the day they told me. <laughs> and uh, we're there. It was the end of, and I knew it was Friday. I was nervous as hell. It was the last day of my two-week trial. 
anything. Just I knew this was the end of the two-week trial period. When the practice normal, everything normal, and then the practice, you know, the team, you say, guys, I got some bad news, you know. Um, I've asked, you kick two guys off the team right there. Oh, and, okay. uh, and they were seniors, they were walk-on guys, great dudes. And uh, he said, but, you know, I got some good news, too. Marcos is going to be joining us, and I was trying to, I tried to play it off cool, like, yeah. <laughs> That's a great, great story. And you know, yeah. looking back now, I mean, your brother, that he that he was so close to making it, I think that really gave you an extra boost because you're like, okay, if he was so close and you were about that level, maybe a little bit better, that gave you for sure some extra motivation. That's a great, great story. Yeah, that, I mean, that was, that was a, a, a micro dot of the things that he did for me. I mean, you just, being, I got the luck of being a little brother who had an unbelievably physically powerful practice partner all the time where he practiced with this little kind of scrubby kid trying to keep up with him. hard. But, that's um, what older siblings older siblings sign up for that, man. That's good stuff. Yeah, so, so, uh, yeah, so you obviously had a really, really good experience at Florida. Um, moved your way up a bit in the lineup. Um, anything stand out that you want to discuss before we kind of go into your transition to coaching, was there any one match? Was there any one year in particular um, that you wanted to highlight? Well, I, you know, my my time in Florida was I was I was blessed when we came. You know, I've never been much of a range. We're somewhere in the low twenties, maybe high teens. And I came on the team. Had we been top five team, I, I don't know. Who knows what would have been in place if Ian would have taken a chance with me. Um, we just had an unbelievably great, solid group of guys. Uh, I mean, Jeff Morrison ended up being the number one player in the country. Justin O'Neill. Jeff Morrison, if he was chimed in on this conversation, he might tell you, well, Justin was better than me. And uh, Justin was amazing. Nathan O'Roll. It was just right down the line. My devil's partner, Dylan Mann, was awesome. Trey Adcock, I still to this day would not be as competitive as I am it wasn't for him he was a shyster in every bit of the work but made me better and um you know Will Brown Matt Darren Troy Hahn is coach Jack Sock right now we, we just had a an awesome group of guys and the older crew that I had Jack Wiggum and Amar um, all these guys were just great my last year there we finished two in the country and made the semis in AA's and I was predominantly doubles player it was just fun. The team, it's funny, my, one of my, my doubles partner told me a few years ago, he said, you know, I don't know if our life would have been different if we had won the national title, but 
committed to winning the national title, and we practiced and spent our whole year dedicated to that. He said, you know, really at the end it was kind of the process of believing we could do it, training like we could do it the whole time, and being there. There, there clearly is, you know, the winners, the Stanford won that year. There's clearly something that they had that we didn't, but it really is that whole, you can't take away that whole year. Oh, not a, yeah, not even close. That's what I try to instill in our guys, like if you're not going to shoot for the top and train as if you're number one, then you're missing the gem of the process. You're missing the bulk of life. And, uh, and, and you're, and it's really that, you know, we, we had some, Unbelievably exciting times. I mean, yeah. The the, the journey itself. It's not always the, the the final destination. The journey itself is where all the good stuff happens. Yeah, um, and there's not one successful team every year that just just the team that won it. You know, there's tons. There's tons of stories of achievement over time. And we had. I like to think we had a pretty great story, and just and at the end of the day, an awesome group of guys. I still. Yeah, Marcos, you and I. I've had numerous conversations, and you and I could talk for hours about, uh, you know, the NCAA basketball tournament. Right? It's a one-game crapshoot. If you're, yeah. if you're gonna, if you're gonna take, uh, if you're gonna say you've been successful. If you're the only, if you're the team that's, uh, if you're the only team that's the last team standing, that's gonna define you as success. You're gonna be a miserable son of a, you know what, in life because. There's a ton of successful teams out there, and when a crapshoot tournament like that, maybe one day in a tennis match you don't have your best day, if you're going to define your life and define your success as being the last man standing, uh, good luck to you, because I could name a ton of Hall of Fame coaches that maybe have won one NCAA title in basketball, and those are Hall of Famers. So we can talk about that all day, and we're not going to, but we're on the... Uh, Yeah. Because only one, been one game, you know, that, that can determine something, and that's when it doesn't matter. And that's the beauty of sport. The beauty of sport. You and I could talk if if we do this again, yeah. we could spend an hour on that, and, I, and I'm yeah. passionate about that topic. But but let's kind of move on and and to see where you kind of are today. Um, how you know how you got to Illinois, how you connected with Brad. So you start your coaching career. I know you were working at the director uh, as director of tennis at the West Side Park in the city of Gainesville. Um, you taught there for around three years, and then a uh, connection with William and Mary came calling. Yeah, I didn't say head pro. I went, the director is Mike Arantia, who okay. I love dearly, and he's a, an awesome dude. Yeah, I, he helped me tremendously as well, and I said, it's funny how you that I haven't looked back at it like this, but you just have all these great people that help you along the way, so I, that's where I met my wife, Nikki. And I, um, so I was, I was dating her, I got to William & Mary, and that was a big step, I think, probably in my, certainly a big step in my career, but just in becoming a man, I asked her to move up there with me, and shortly after that, asked her to marry me, and, you know, I, I certainly would not be here today if it wasn't for her, and we, so I was at William & Mary, which was, when I came, they were we were unranked, I think, or we were right there, you know, on the cusp. And, but it was a good group of guys. It was a good team. And um, I remember Peter Dow told me, you, he said, well, I just want you to run 
Right. Right. Then he left to Fresno, and then Brad got Kevin the Fresno women's job, and that's when I I met Kevin when he left Fresno to come to William America. So uh, he had told me about Brad. I had never even met him, talked to him on the phone, nothing. I'd seen him around one time. I actually remember seeing him and Kevin Anderson at the Palmas in Georgia. Uh, they were eating there for the NCAAs, and we had a team there. Uh, William Mary team was was there playing, and um, and that was the closest I ever got to saying a word to him. And I just kind of knew it. I was like, oh, I think that's yeah, that's Brad Dancer. You got the Illinois job, that's right, you know. And I just heard he was this crazy kind of workout nut, and wild, and all this stuff, you know, physical, just crazy man. <laughs> and I always, I always like every story. I always heard about Brad. Some people would tell me a story like trying to knock on him. And I always laugh, I was like, oh, you can knock on that joint. That sounds kind of cool to me. If I could do that, I'd like to hang out with him. Right. And, um, and so we, um, Kevin is the one that linked us up. And he kind of just said, Marcus, you need to work for Brad. He said, Brad, you need to hire Marcus. And so I met him at Kalamazoo. We drove back from Kalamazoo together for my interview. And uh, I think I mentioned to you before, I always, in recruiting and, and just kind of relationships in life, I always say that someone I can be a six-hour car ride with, it's you know, probably someone I want on my team or someone I want involved. I want to be involved with that person somehow. So me and Brad, you know, we kicked it off with nearly a six-hour car ride and uh, chatted the whole way, talked the whole way, and um, just had a, a, a great time. I mean, he was... I don't want to say the guy I knew because I didn't know him. You know, I had a couple stories here and there and stuff. Kevin Epley told me about him. And uh, I actually saw Kevin Epley, Brad, and Jeannie Jones, who I later got to know well, and there's another super dude. They all went to New Zealand together with Jeannie and, and saw the sites and did helicopter tours and glaciers. So I saw all these pictures, but I thought, like, kind of got to witness Brad's vacation in New Zealand through Kevin Epley. Who <laughs> and um, so we just had a lot of. I don't know how you want to call it, but I had all these stories through Kevin about Brad. And, um, I, we just, he had a, a similar upbringing to me, you know, kind of grew up in the park system, playing and tennis, you know, sort of in and out of tennis and, and phases in his life. And uh, a lot of the same views that I did in terms of, you know, what makes a good tennis player. And it's funny how oftentimes in college tennis you hear about the assistant and head coaching relationships, how, you know, you'll hear it just go, I just got to get out of there. This guy's, you know, we don't see eye to eye and all these things. And it's really, I was used to it a lot with my parents and just, we call it creative differences, you know. And, and my parents, so many times, my brother and I would come down and we'd think my parents were fighting, you know, like, is it really okay you guys fight? And they'd be talking about the show. <laughs> and they were yelling, screaming at the top. Both of them were yelling and screaming at the top of their lungs, but they really were just passionate about what they were talking about. And you have these creative differences that go on and with the, the coach and assistant coaching relationships that sometimes go sour. And Brad and I, we certainly have our, our creative differences, but it's um, we always can speak our mind and, and rarely do we not see eye to eye, which is, it's funny in tennis, you know, people have so many different, differing opinions that it's, um, I don't know, I think it's rare to find, and, and uh, I certainly consider him friend more than a, a co-worker or whatever you want to call this 
Yeah, no, and and I think I think a lot of head coaches, if they're just going to hire an assistant coach to just agree with them all the time, one hundred percent of the time, I don't. I mean, what what good is that? They're hiring someone to maybe help them see something in a different light, add some value. Obviously, if you just want someone to agree with you, you're you're limiting yourself because then you're only looking at uh, one thing the same way every single time. So. I think a, a, a good head coach would value uh, an assistant suggesting an alternative way of looking at something, and then you kind of discuss it from there on. And, and uh, obviously you, Brad, uh, you and Brad have had a very, very successful relationship. You guys have had very successful teams, um, and you're continuing to do so. And, and adding Ross to the mix, I know Ross a bit too. Um, if I could just say, uh, Ross, you and Brad are, are first class, and it's been a pleasure Knowing you guys and, and talking with you guys, you guys um, do it the right way, and uh, there's a there's a reason why you're uh, very successful, and it's all because of the way you guys uh, you know act in your manner. You're very professional, and um, it shows. Well, it shows. I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Yeah. So, so you know, before we wrap this up, um, I, like we said at, at first, I know you got Michigan and Michigan State this weekend. Um, now you got Ohio State lurking, then you got the Big Ten tournament, and then uh, upward and onward from there. Any final thoughts uh, on you and your team, um, Coach Dancer? Anything else before we wrap this up? No, I think you know, Brad and I. This team so far hasn't quite lived up to the expectations that that they've set out for themselves, and. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. This is the first, and, and maybe it's just because we have six freshmen and uh, there's, you know, they're right there with the six other guys on the team. So that majority, that's, when it's only two, they kind of fold into the mix a little easier. And it's um, this generation and this, this next group of kids that are coming up are, are very different. Um, and and, and it's, I feel like an old man when I'm saying this, but it seems like it's every generation is is extremely different from the last. And there's all these new things that the because we're getting we're getting smarter, we're getting better, we're we're doing all these things that there also are an equal amount of you know you go back to the 80s and they thought everyone was racy with their neon colors and the crazy hair and all this stuff and you know, now the kids are wearing this and wearing that and they've been saying it the whole time but I do think that this is kind of the start of that next generation era and I think this year has been a learning experience for Brad and I um, it's been a great one it's been a, a, a great learning experience I do feel better and more knowledgeable as a coach um, and I just think it's they bring so many great traits and skills and at times you can lose sight of that when you focus on oh well they can't do this and they can't do that and they haven't learned these things but there's there's an energy and a vibrance with this group of kids that just needs to be harnessed differently and uh, I know we're excited for it I think the the future of Illinois in particular with this next class we have coming in and a few of the others we're, we're talking with for 2018 I, I think Brad and I's mission is really let's get the NCAA title, let's get the national indoor title, let's be, you know, the, the one of the teams that, that is not only in the conversation but is feared. And, and I, I certainly think that's 
coming. Um, and we're, it's an exciting time. I, I love it at Illinois. I, I do think it's the best place in college tennis. And um, it's just, it's a special place. You really, when I, when I go on and on in recruiting and I'm talking to these kids about it, I'm like, you know, I just, you, I can't explain the times. You just have to experience it. And then, uh, so it's exciting. It's fun. I'm looking forward to the future. I'm looking forward to for tomorrow. And uh, I think all these things are just little many building blocks as we move along. No, that, thank you so much. And we're looking forward to watching you guys too because, again, you've yeah. got a really good roster. you got a lot of young kids, and the future looks very, very bright. Um, thank you. I know it's uh, late. you got to get prepared for tomorrow. So, um, of course. Thank you so much. Best of luck, and, and uh, maybe we'll get to do this again sometime. All right, thanks, Marcos. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Yeah, talk Well, there you have it. Um, Marcos Asse, what a stand-up guy. He, he's awesome. I can't say enough good things about him. And I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation, and we'll try to keep doing uh, more of these. Thank you.